I am going to read a passage in James that Randy will be using for his teaching today. It's James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his own, I'm sorry, by his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. So, Father, we, we come before you now, uh, submitted to your word. This is your word that was read. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask that you would come and, and open our hearts up to receive and yield to your will because we want you to be glorified. We want Jesus, you to be lifted up because we desperately long to draw closer and closer to you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here to do that very work. And so we uh, come to you with anticipation as we work through this text. And we, we have much hope because it is your faithfulness, it is your power, it is your wisdom that changes things and that is present here. And so we ask that you would lead us and guide us. Thank you for the, the wisdom you're already leading our family to, talking about your little ones and the way that we are. I am so warmed in my heart, Lord, that the work you are doing in this family is glorifying to you. And I pray you would continue to fan that into flame. And uh, I pray you would continue to lead us to worship you as we work through this passage. Lord, I pray you would help my heart, help me focus on you, help me hear you. This is your time. This is for you. This is all for you. So we just ask you, Holy Spirit, come, lead, guide, lead us to encounter your presence. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this past Thursday, well, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Randy. I'm uh, one of the elders here. Glad to be here with you this morning. But I wanted to start off by letting you guys know that this past Thursday, I had a really awkward exchange with a neighbor over a parking situation. If any of you guys live in the in a neighborhood, maybe you've had several of those. Um, I actually, I've had quite a few. But this one was probably one of the hardest. And without going into too much detail, my neighbor was angered by where I parked my car, and, and we had to really work through that together. Um, I, and I had no time to prep for this conversation. I, I was really caught off guard. It was actually a really nice morning. I was enjoying a nice cup of coffee um, that I was holding in my hand and just heading to work and really ready to start the day, and, and it just kind of, it happened. It's an awesome conversation that I was not looking forward to. And I realized in my study of James this week that how I handle and respond to people um, like my neighbor and, and how I interact and follow up with them has everything to do with the wisdom that James is talking about in this passage that we are going to talk about today. That it, it's actually true with how we actually interact with our kids and spouses and friends and coworkers. Wisdom is necessary. It's absolutely crucial for every part of our life. I actually used to think, and I still stumble into this thinking, and this came up as I was working through this passage this week, that wisdom is something that I can only attain way down the road of my life. After I've grown a lot more gray hairs, I actually have a few, believe it or not, 
Um, I have read a lot more books, and I have a lot more that I've actually experienced in life. But I read some interesting articles on the topic of wisdom this week, and it's interesting how much they stress the importance of actually attaining wisdom in order to live a fuller life now, no matter what age you are, not just way down the road. Uh, One in particular uh, Psychology Today article I read said, cultivating wisdom is a deliberate choice that people can make regardless of age and intelligence. Therefore, the writer, he urges in this article to not wait until you're older and smarter, but seek after it now. And what's interesting is the Bible, this article is agreeing a lot with what the Bible's already told us. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to choose understanding rather than silver. Man, if you're going to seek after something, if you're going to really value something in our culture, value wisdom, go after it. And the question then for us that James is going to get after is, how do we discern true wisdom then? And once we understand what wisdom is, how do we keep seeking and living out wisdom in community and within relationships with others, especially where you get relational curveballs that are regularly thrown our way, like with my neighbor? And this is what James is getting after this passage. We're either submitting to a false wisdom that can be really hurtful in its outcome towards other people and really detrimental to our soul. Or we are submitting to a true wisdom that is from God where the things we do are are really pleasing to God and they're a huge blessing to others and to our own soul. And so this has very important implications for us as a church family and our relationships with one another. So James, he starts off as it was read in uh, chapter 3, he starts off offering this question. And we're in chapter 3 verse 18 if you guys didn't catch that when uh, Nicole was reading. James starts off and he offers this question, how do you know who is wise and understanding? Among the community James is writing to, it seems some, some people, sorry, I'm like moving slow here. Um, among the community James is writing to, it seems some people thought of themselves as wise. Um, last week, Dawson talked about uh, in James 3.1, where James tells us that there's people in the community that actually desire to be teachers. And we can perhaps even assume that some desire to be leaders, and they possibly believe that they already had the understanding and, dis- and discernment of, of what true wisdom is, and they were already there. That's the idea we get. Therefore, James, he's wanting the church communities he's writing to, to really evaluate themselves and discern who is truly wise. What's the basis for it? To really evaluate where they're at. And I don't know, have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever asked that question of yourself as you looked at the community that you're a part of? Like, how do you discern whether or not you or someone in your community has true understanding? What's the basis for regarding someone wise? That's a very important question Paul's putting in, or James is putting in front of us. So here's what I want to do. Just, we're going to take a moment. So don't lag on what I'm about to ask you to do because I'm only going to give you a moment. Um, take a mental note. Think about what to you makes a wise person. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. Keep it to yourself. What to you makes a wise person? And just be honest with yourself. Think about it. I'm just going to give you a second. I'm sure sure I cut some of you guys off, but just wanted you to think about it. Hopefully you got one or two thoughts in your mind. Put it on your phone. I just want you to think about that. Here's my list that I came up with when I did this exercise. I had more time, so I have more stuff. And I processed with others because I was asking different people different questions. Um... The basis of wisdom can tend to be how long you lived or how many things you've experienced in life, how much you know and how smart a person is, uh, 
how quick someone can think on their feet and really be decisive in the moment. A, a, a person who's opportunistic, bold, assertive, and very self-assured, especially in really hard situations or circumstances. Um, a disciplined person. Um, how well you can communicate how much you know. And certain people came to my mind too, like successful business executives, uh, successful, successful entrepreneurs, well-accomplished scholars who's written many books, teachers, speakers, authors, people with a lot of degrees. I tend to think of that. Um, people that know a lot of theology, that know the Bible a whole lot, pastors that have been pastoring for a really long time. So obviously, when we, when we think about this list, some of the things really are helpful in gaining wisdom. There's no doubt about it. However, James, how he defines wisdom is quite differently than I, what I've gathered, uh, what our culture would say, and then how I would define it with my own words. And honestly, it really made me reevaluate and rethink and realize false assumptions I've been carrying around about wisdom. It's really important. It's really important. So we're kind of asking that question. How are we kind of allowing James, allowing God's word to kind of reevaluate the way we are evaluating our hearts and how we're evaluating wisdom? And James says in 13, he says, it's by his good conduct, a person's good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or humility, either word works, of wisdom. So true wisdom must be shown by day-to-day good works and humility. Good conduct and humility, it's the inevitable outcome of true wisdom. Does that make sense? So how a community is to discern uh, what wisdom is and understand what wisdom is, is day-to-day good works and humility. So you can be very smart. You can be very educated. You could know a ton of theology. You can be very well-read. You can be very experienced in life. You can be really good with money and be very disciplined with that and how you handle it. You could be very successful in your job, and yet you still lack wisdom. Or another way to put it is like, you're a fool. I mean, I don't know about you. It's really humbling to me. Is that not humbling, a little bit sobering, how he's defining wisdom? And in verse 14, James, he tells us why this is the case. He moves on and James says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And so the community James is writing to, it sounds like they're struggling with being driven by bitter jealousy and, and selfish ambition, which is a passion, it's a zeal to drive to be self-oriented, to think about yourself advancing over others. Because bitter jealousy is essentially someone who looks to seek the best for oneself, even at the cost of the good of another person. And when you combine that with selfish ambition, what James is giving us a picture of, an imagery of, is, is getting, what he's getting at is, is um, a, of, of a picture of angry competition, where one person's purpose is about the self-advancement of another person's. And here's the picture that comes to my mind. It's like two men or two women competing against each other in a UFC cage fight. I don't know if you guys are familiar with UFC's Ultimate Fighting Championship. And you get this picture in your mind that, that these fighters, they come into the cage for one purpose. One purpose. And that is to defeat their opponent into submission. And in these fights, you use all your experience, your gifts, your abilities, your skills, your energy, your knowledge, all the stuff you worked hard at, and you give it all you got to defeat and beat the other person. And your goal is to win over them, to to exploit your opponent's weaknesses to your own advantage. 
It, it's to learn how to defend against their strength so that you can impose your will on that other person. And that's the picture James has given us here. Now, since I'm assuming most of us aren't cage fighters here this morning, um, here, are some, here are some examples of how this might play out in our life, in the inner workings of our heart. This can come up. This can come up when, as a dad, my goal for my child is to make, or my children, is to make my kids obedient, quiet, and non-disruptive. The will I'm looking to impose on my kids is do not bother dad. Make life easy for dad. This can come up when um, maybe you have an idea that you want people to get because you believe it's 110% the right and best idea. And even though people in the community are saying, no, they don't want it, they're pushing back, you're going to do everything you can to force your idea upon them because it's just the best thing, man. They just got to get it. You got to get it. Keep explaining it. They'll get it. Or this comes up when you want to advance as a leader in order to get recognition, and you're doing it perhaps for the sake of a title and and being looked up to, so that anyone who gets in your way is a threat. Or anyone who isn't seeing you or recognizing you or viewing you in that kind of way is someone you've got to compete against to get them to see that. And another one I came up with, this comes up when you you make your personal dreams and passions your ultimate goal in life. Anything that gets in the way of you accomplishing your dreams or your passions, they can become a threat to you, or that thing can become a threat to you, where you feel that you must do everything you can to defeat that, to get over it. So often, even when we are currently unable to attain our hopes and dreams for our personal life, we can still strive to accomplish them and actually put those things above our family, put those things above serving the church, and seeing the importance of being a part of a community and pouring into the community, because honestly, we're putting them before God and what his primary callings are on us for his purposes. So real briefly, just as I gave some of these examples, I'd love to hear, just and real briefly, I'd love to hear from some of you, what kind of community would this produce in our church if we are giving into this selfish ambition Bitter jealousy. What kind of uh, patterns of interaction and behavior would, would we see in our community giving in and submitting to, to this kind of selfish ambition? Let me hear some, just a few of you before we move on. You can raise your hand. Division, yes. Division. Yeah, a lot of competition, which would lead into what, what, what other kind of behaviors? Defensiveness, yep. What else? Gossip, because you could be really offended by somebody are really enthralled with someone, whatever it is, you, there, there's something you have with someone and it can easily lead you to begin to talk about them behind their backs because of jealousy. Good, what else? Yeah, misplaced priorities. Yeah, so you find yourself giving yourself to a lot more time and energy to things that only matter to you but, but could be overriding what God's actually wanting you to do and, 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 and people that are in your life are getting overlooked and missed when God's saying like, no, I want you here, not there. Yeah, misplaced priorities. A quenched Holy Spirit. Absolutely. This is devastating stuff. On that note, I'm just going to just say, the, 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 James, and, and what we're about to get into, this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. This is very heavy. This is very important. We, we gain understanding in what he's getting at and the importance of wisdom here because there's a God who wants to dwell among us and in us, and he has a certain way of Pattering our communities that glorify him, and then there's another way that absolutely does not. 
And, and it's, it's very, very important. So when you are looking to enter into a fight at a heart level and you impose your will on others so that you can advance your dreams and your passions and goals, even if they're for good reasons, like writing a sermon or pastoring people or just good stuff, even for good stuff, James says, do not boast and be false to the truth. And what that means is don't put your confidence in that kind of wisdom or don't submit yourself to that kind of person because they do lack wisdom no matter how much they know. If there's not humility, if there's selfish ambition, it is not wisdom. It's false wisdom. And this should make us pause in how we look to pursue and seek after wisdom because what James is getting at, two important things. It's an examination of the motivation of our heart. What is the posture of our heart? And then how do we view the patterns and behaviors of our life? What's the exam- how do we examine our heart? And what patterns really show up in our life? And James then, what he shows, he, shows, he, he then goes into the next verse, how this kind of all comes together. Which we kind of get more to the gravity of what's really going on. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly and unspiritual. And he says, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. See, false wisdom, it's not from God. Instead, false wisdom, James says, comes from these three domains, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so I, I want to put up the slide about false wisdom. And we're going to start from the bottom and we're going to work our way up. Okay. Um, the first one I want to talk about is unspiritual. What James means is what, how Paul uses the term flesh in other places that, that Paul writes. And what that means is being an unspiritual, fleshly person is a self-oriented person. False wisdom considers self number one, above others and all else. And, and therefore, we tend to view others as, as, a, as someone to compete against, an opponent we are to compete against. And then, earthly, what... James means here is what Paul uses the word sometimes, the world, of the world, being worldly. And it's a worldview where God, there is no God or he's marginalized. False wisdom does not consider God. So therefore, for example, any viewpoint from our culture on how you relate to other people and how you view other people, if it's not based on who God is and what he is like and what he's done, it's godly and it's, sorry, it's earthly and worldly. And then He then says demonic. What does he mean here? He's talking about demons and Satan, the ruler of demons. These are evil angelic beings who have usurped God and his created order, and he's at work leading creation to do the same, to go against the creator, to cause disorder. And here's the crazy thing. What James is saying, false wisdom is ultimately us submitting and agreeing with the goal of Satan and demons. Is that not humbling? So if we're here this morning and we are relying on world's wisdom and we are making life about us, even doing really good things, our wisdom is aligned and in agreement with Satan and demonic beings. And I'm not saying every bad deed we do, we we just get to offload our responsibility and just say, well, it's demon's fault, it's Satan's fault. That's not what I'm saying here. It's not what James is saying. Because we have a flesh. We're unspiritual. We're choosing to make it all about us. But... Here's the point. Satan is celebrating all the time. All the time. He's winning. He is celebrating. He is influencing. He's behind the scenes. And the point is that submitting to the wisdom of the world, it really, at the end of the day, makes us Satan's fool. 
That's who we are. We're as full. The wisdom of the world is, is, is being a fool for Satan. And this false wisdom, James says, produces disorder and every vile practice. And what he's saying there, it's every evil practice. All that stuff we just listed, we could have listed more. It's all of that and then some. And that comes from what he says is this inner relationship between Satan and demons, the world and our flesh being self-oriented. And so there's a lot coming at us. There's a lot at play in our communities, in our life right now. That's being thrown our way. And, and this is why it's important that we discern what true wisdom is for the sake of glorifying God and the sake of unity in our community. And James sums up, then he goes into 17, summing up what wisdom truly is in the next two verses. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. James says true wisdom comes from above. So what does that mean? It doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from demons. It comes from God. James says this in chapter 117. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, shadow due to change. God is a God of order. God is the source and beginning of wisdom. To, uh, to know wisdom is to know God. And most believe, as I was studying this passage, when James then says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Very interesting statement there. There's a lot going on there. And most believe, the commentaries I read, that all the wisdom attributes that, fall, that follow actually fall under and are subsequent to that first word, pure. Very important. Purity is um, the idea of moral blamelessness. And purity, James mentions um, in chapter 1, verse 27, as being unstained from the world. Unstained from the world. God's wisdom comes, and here's what he means, by this pure, wholehearted, single-minded devotion to God. To God. It can't be mixed with selfish ambition. You can't have selfish ambition have wisdom. That's why you could be super successful, have a ton of knowledge, know the Bible inside and out, and yet be the most foolish person because you're filled with selfish ambition. You can't mix that. It's pure devotion. Worldly, it can't be mixed with worldly perspective. It can't be mixed with demonic influence. This is why wisdom must begin, and this is why I think James's point in bringing in this word first pure, I think what he's saying is it must begin, wisdom must begin by faith in Jesus. It must begin by a pure, devoted relationship with Jesus. Because faith in Jesus is the only way we can actually have access to true wisdom. That is to be, first of all, pure, morally, moral blamelessness. This is why Jesus... We, ought, we, we have to, we must, as we were singing and worshiping, he's, he is the epitome of wisdom. Jesus is it. God's holiness and purity, here's what's so amazing about how God uses his wisdom. God's holiness and his purity, it enters into the world in Jesus because Jesus did everything pleasing to God. He did everything to please his Father. And he was a servant to humanity. 
And so the holiness of God through Jesus, it immerses itself in a world that's filled with stains and blemishes. And yet, he, God, remains holy and pure. That's what's amazing about wisdom. But what's even more amazing about wisdom, not only that, did he remain pure and holy. God's holiness, he uses it. The wisdom of God takes those of us who are stuck in selfish ambition, who are stained, who have moral impurities in our life, and he makes us pure and holy, as Christ is pure and holy. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the cross of Christ, it's foolishness to the world. Though it's foolishness to the world, it's the powerful wisdom of God because the cross allows unholy, impure people that should have no access to God. We, should, we have no right to say, God, come talk to me. God, I want to have a relationship. We, we should have no right to do that. And what God does in his infinite wisdom, he takes his purity and he puts it on us and he takes our impurities. And this is wonderful exchange where we have the righteousness of God, where God himself now can dwell within us and he unites us to himself. And that's why wisdom can be something we can actually participate in because we are pure in Jesus. We have the purity of Christ. And that's where it begins. And what I mean by that is, no matter how hard we try to be peaceful, gentle, merciful, this is really important, it's only significant in as much as it's based on faith in Jesus. And I think that's what James is trying to make really clear here. And here's how we can sum it up, what James is getting across with this slide about true wisdom. And the orientation of this slide, okay, I didn't, I, I actually, so this is my mistake, I actually wanted the arrows to go downwards, but that's all right, leave it like that. This is, it's like my vertigo, it actually looks normal for me right now, so we're all good. I have vertigo, if some of you guys don't know. Uh, <laughs> so you might get thrown off by that. So it starts off with God. God is where, where, where wisdom comes from. And, it, and we are to be informed by a gospel worldview, which means this. God created the world for us to understand who he, understand it with the basis, the lens by which we engage everything, by understanding first who he is and what he has done in Jesus. Like that's how we interpret our situation, our life, everything about our life. That's why we can sing songs, though you give or you take away, blessed be your name. That's a worldview grid that's based on the gospel because the biggest issue we have to face ever is to be separated from God. And that got completely, radically changed forever by what Jesus has done. That's a gospel worldview. When you lose everything and you still bless his name, that's a gospel worldview. When you serve and though you get rejected and you still do it because you're doing it for him, that's a gospel worldview. And then, um, God, by his infinite power and wisdom, he makes us into new beings that we are reoriented to God. We're God-oriented beings, where we're not unspiritual. We have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, motivating us to this end goal, that God, the most important thing in my life, is not my career. It's not my wife and kids. It's not anything but glorifying him and guess what? I'm going to tell you the second. Being unified to his bride. Being unified to his bride. It's glorifying God. It's being united to him and, and being at one, being unified at unity, having unity with the bride, his bride, who he died for, having unity with the church. He reorients us to glorify him. and It changes the way we view and treat others. So these seven qualities that follow are specific dimensions that James is talking about 
over that, 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 uh, uh, that, that is subsequent to this overall idea of purity. And the commentator that I was reading um, broke it up into three clusters. I think it's really helpful. And it kind of gives us a picture of what this community looks like. The first cluster is peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. He puts these three together in this passage. Peaceable, it's someone who loves and values peace. You just love peace. And the outcome of one who loves peace is this desire for gentleness. Other translations use the word considerate. So this means there's a willingness to yield to others. And, and there's an unwillingness, an unwillingness to demand strict claims on others. And then open to reason, other translations use the word submissive. It's, it's being willing to be easily persuaded. Now, what I don't mean here is like gullible to lies. It's not at all what's being said here. But it's this desire to be easily persuaded where you have a willing a willingness to pay deference to others. You really want to respect. You really want to honor other people. This person that James is talking about in this cluster here is, has nothing to hide, no need to feel threatened or fearful of others, no need to try and control things, no need to try to control other people. And then James goes into the second cluster saying mercy and good fruit. And James gives us this definition of mercy in really chapter 2, verses 18 to 13, where he talks about loving your neighbor should show itself in action. And so when you see a need, your desire is to act mercifully to someone who's in need. And what he's saying, wisdom produces an abundance of that kind of fruit, where when you see or hear about needs, you just want to act mercifully. And then the third cluster of this list is impartial and sincere. In the context, impartial being next to sincere means simple or undoubting and being very straightforward. And sincere means the word, it actually has this literal sense of not playing the part. It means honesty and being genuine. And so wisdom from above, it makes a person trustworthy and very transparent. It's the kind of person who consistently displays these kind of virtues of wisdom and one you can go to and rely on for advice and counsel. And so now, if, if we take a step back, this is really pretty radical kind of lifestyle to our world, right? Like just even listing off some of those things. You guys, aren't we kind of drawn and captivated by that kind of posture towards one another? Isn't that, isn't that pretty like amazing? Pretty wonderful? Can, can you just even imagine like what kind of patterns of behavior that would happen in our community if we actually were living that out, right? You just, I mean, think about the, the difference it would be compared to what we just talked about with the, the vile practices. Like what, what are some of those patterns of behavior that we would see if we were pursuing peace and gentleness and mercy in the, in the kind of community? What, what kind of patterns of behavior would we, would we see amongst us? You should raise your hand if you have it. Yeah, quick to forgive. There'd be a lot of forgiveness. What else? Yeah, a, a, a strong desire to want to serve and help each other out. What else? Good, yes. Yeah, there'd be a lot of, we would be very intentional and we would see it as a high value to really take time to listen to other people. And really pay attention to what's being said. Not even assume we know what's right. It's good. Slow to anger, yeah. Probably be asking a lot more questions about why we're feeling the way we're feeling. 
trying to gain more understanding because we might not have the full picture. Good. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, we would be, it, it, there wouldn't be such a divide between who's the leader and who's not. And it, it, it wouldn't, it, it, all that would, it would, it would pretty much, it, it would go away. It, it, there would be a lot less critiquing and maybe blaming, like you said, like maybe certain leaders or jealousy might have a certain leaders. But we would realize we're all, we're all here to build each other up. So it doesn't matter what role or title you have. What matters is, is that we all would be built up. We would all be. Uh, working towards God's will in our life. Good. In like our interaction with each other? Like are you looking at your cell phone while I was talking? <laughs> okay. Hmm. All right, everybody, take out your cell phones. Sorry, Andy, I got to do this. Take out your cell phones. We're destroying them right now. We're going to form a little pile, burn it. And that's all a joke. You guys might be new here. We're totally joking. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 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 That's good. No, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the thoughts that came to my mind, Peter, too, is just how cell phones can just be even just like I can have I, I'm more concerned about what's going on in this world than the world that's right in front of the person in front of me engaging. And like how like just when I was thinking what you said, Janice, about listening. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I could just overlook that activity, that behavior. But man, it seems so crucial to the wisdom of God. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth cares about a community being filled with people that really, really listen to each other where there's this openness of wanting to learn and understand because we don't have the full picture. That's a big deal. I am so humbled by that. I need wisdom. Man, I don't know if you guys feel that. I, I, I know there's a couple hands. We, we actually got to move on because I was just looking at the time. But let, may, may we continue that interaction in our, in, in our communities. This isn't it. This isn't it. But what I want to say here is it's going to feel awkward sometimes walking this out, if we're honest, to really have this kind of yielding nature and posture to one another. It's very vulnerable. It's very freaky. I'm just being honest. It's very hard. Because in the moment when the person's coming against you, you don't feel this way, right? I don't. If you do, you need to come up here and teach. I'm serious. Like, it's, it's really hard. And going back to my fighting analogy, at times, it's going to feel, this picture came to my mind, as awkward and ridiculous if you enter the cage fight. If you saw someone enter a cage fight, let's say we're watching UFC right here on the screen. Someone enters the cage fight. And their whole purpose of entering the cage fight is to take their skills, their abilities, their just hard work ethic, and their whole purpose is to make that opponent better than themselves. To help that person beat themselves up, right? That'd be ridiculous, right? They come in there and they, they want to know their opponent's weaknesses, not in order to exploit it, 
but so that they could encourage and like work out, uh, use their strengths to encourage their weaknesses. That would be ridiculous if we saw that in the cage match, wouldn't it? I, that would be really ridiculous. Or, or the, 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 we're in the cage and we don't mind that the person knows our weaknesses. We don't, we don't need to hide it. We don't need to worry about being defended. We're going to go in there and let them do what they want to us. That's crazy. But this is kind of the awkward, ridiculous nature. I know some of you guys are like, oh, guys. Yeah, I'm not, ta- like, it, it, I'm not saying a cage f- uh, fighter needs to, to, to do that. To, to show wisdom, to be clear. But what I'm saying is, it's going to feel that way. When you've got someone coming against you, and you've got your emotions flaring up, it feels very hard to start walking out this kind of gentleness, this yielding to somebody else. You guys get what I'm saying? What's that? Is that how the fighter got changed? got beat up all the time? Oh, yeah. There you go. See, that's awesome. That's great. I didn't even know that. Are you a fighter? All right, that's awesome. <laughs> that, that is, yeah, that's great. But here's the point. Like, that indeed is the very mind of Christ that has been given to us, okay? To have that posture. And here, here's what I'm getting at. We are supposed to be very counterintuitive people in the eyes of the world. You got to know that. If you think becoming a Christian, being part of the church, you're going to expect something else, it's, it's not biblical, we're a counterintuitive, counterculture community. That's what Christ died for, and that's what he's building. It's going to look very different. It's going to look like foolishness. First Corinthians actually says that God, through the work of Jesus, the most brilliant work of God, putting his son on the cross, which allows the spirit to dwell within us, is foolishness, First Corinthians says, to the world. It's foolishness. God, who... Was, who's, uh, Jesus, who's equated with God, Philippians 2 says. So he's the ultimate fire that can come in the ring and just smash us and actually have every right to do it, right? He didn't, he didn't grasp that equality he had with God. What did he do? He humbled himself by taking on the flesh of sinful man, Philippians 2 says. And to the point where he was obedient to the point of dying on the cross, which means he takes on the sin on himself, it looks like he loses. That's why people look at the crowd like, that's foolish. But it is the wisdom and power of God. That is how we become reconciled to God. That is the, it is the wisdom that saves humanity. It's why we're here, I hope. Is it so we know that we are people who are reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done on the cross? And that Philippians says that's the kind of mind we're supposed to have, that humble, yielding posture that Jesus did. He puts on us. He gives us the very mind of Jesus. And it's the foolishness of the world. If you want God's wisdom, essentially we gotta, we, it's a desire to be a fool for Jesus. Where Jesus is full. Where Jesus is full. And here's what's, what's, what's really important is what does the wisdom of God which is being a fool for Jesus, versus the wisdom of the world, which is being a fool for Satan. What does it produce? What does it produce? Verse 18 says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And what he's getting at here is an imagery of farming. And God's wisdom is at work producing, not disorder, not evil practices, but he's producing peace. And what peace is here. It's a life of holding. It's not, it goes beyond just merely trying to live a quiet, comfortable life. 
he's talking about a life of wholeness and completeness that comes from a relationship with God and a healthy relationship with others. If I can put it this way, it's intimacy. It's being fully known and yet fully accepted by God. And yet, it's allowing yourself to be known by others, which is a really scary thing. For you guys to know my heart right now and fears I have, it's really vulnerable. But man, there's freedom in being reconciled to God to just say, here's who I am. Here's who I am because I'm so loved. See my life. And that transparency brings peace, harvest of peace, activities that are pleasing to God. That's what it produces. And what James wants us to do is take a step back. If we could just put those, that slide up of comparing, and he wants us to compare Whose fool are we? If we're Satan's fool, we have disorder in every vile practice that we're producing. If we are true, true wisdom, we are full for Jesus. It is a peace and harvest of righteousness that God is out to produce in us. So, so this week, this is what it looks like for us. In a proactive sense, ask God. James says that in the beginning of this chapter. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him. 1 Corinthians 2.13, it says this, and the Spirit keeps bringing this passage up to my mind, so I feel like I just got to read it. Um, this is so, guys, it is so amazing what we, him, God, the fact that he dwells inside of us, the access we have, it's ridiculous. He says, Paul says this, and we impart the, this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of god for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned and jumping to 16 for who has understood the mind of the lord so to instruct him but we have the mind of christ the holy spirit is in us so that we can put on the mind of christ so Wake up tomorrow morning. Wake up every day and say, God, would you give me wisdom? God, would you give me your mind? Would you, give, would you, would you help re-put on me? We have it. We've got to ask him to refill us with it. Would you give me the mind of Jesus? Would you give me the mind of Jesus? And maybe you've got to work up like, that looks like just him giving you peace in your soul. You're filled with confusion by some of the lies we were talking about last week. And having the mind of Christ is having peace and rest in your soul because God is for you, not against you. And that is the most important relationship. God, would you give me wisdom to put on the kind of works that would be pleasing to you? So do that every day. Do that this week. And, and that, that's more of a proactive sense. In a reactive sense, in your missional community, let's say you're in an MC meeting or in a DNA meeting, or you're having a conversation with your spouse, how, how many times do you ever get into conflict and you hit a barrier and you're at like logger's head and you can't figure out why? You just keep arguing. You're just mad at each other. If we look at this and we see demons are at work, there's, spiritual, there's a spiritual dimension to all this. Let us stop and ask God what is going on. Have you ever done that? Got into an awkward situation, a relational disturbance with somebody, even spouse or DNA or MC, and you ever just stop and say, Jesus, this feels kind of awkward right now. I feel off. Things seem to be going good. Now it just feels awkward. Jesus, what's going on? Can you help guide the next step here? There's something you want to show. Maybe there's some flesh going on. Maybe someone is struggling with pride and they're struggling with selfish ambition. Spirit can reveal that and bring repentance and healing in the moment. Or maybe the Spirit wants to make you aware in the moment that there's being demonic influence. That's going on. And I promise you this, if there's confusion and disorder and it's not getting anywhere in your conversation, Satan is most likely at work. 
So Jesus, will you reveal if the enemy's at work? Would you bind him right now in the name of Jesus? We absolutely should be doing those kind of practices in our conversations if that's what's happening. That's the wisdom of God. He's alive and at work. So today, we're going to respond in three ways. I want to invite Andy and the the band to come up. And what we're going to do here is we're going to take communion. The reason why we're going to take communion is that we are going to celebrate the death of Jesus because it is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so we go to the tables to take the bread and dip it in the cup because we are reminded that it is Jesus' life and it is Jesus' death that does the most important thing that we ever need in life, and that is to be united to God and be united to his bride and be at peace with him and be at peace with each other. So that's why we go to the table. So Andy will lead us to the table. We also are going to have a time for giving as well. And the reason why we do that is God's wisdom tells us that with a gospel worldview that it's not keeping your things, your possessions, and your money that where you find life. It's actually giving it away. That's what the gospel shows us. And so we're reminded as we give and that, that because of what we have in the gospel, we can give cheerfully and being edified in faith in so doing. So if you're part of the church family, this, this Soma family call you and remind you to give in accordance with the Spirit's leading you to give. And then we're also going to respond in prayer. Prayer is a sign of we are dependent on God. And some of you guys here this morning, need, God wants to lead you to receive prayer, whether you are hurting and you're wounded and you're restless and at odds with someone in this church family because perhaps you're at odds with God and there's healing that needs to happen. So I want you, if that is you, you can go receive prayer um, that we'll have at the end of the gathering. I also, if you're here this morning and, and you've never received Jesus and you've never thought of the idea that Jesus is the true wisdom and he's where peace comes from, I want you to receive prayer for that this morning. But we're going to have time for prayer. And so this time as, as we get led in song, I want us all to stand up. And, and, and I just want to invite you, go ahead and stand up. And I want to invite you to go ahead and process with the Lord as we're singing. What next step does he want to bring you to? Where, where are you at at a heart level with him as you go to the table when, when Andy leads us there? As you're singing these words and processing with the Lord, where are you at with him at a heart level? Are you at peace with the Lord? Are you at peace with others? So I want you to process with the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray you lead us right now to worship you. I pray you fill this room with your presence. Continue to lead us. Lead us to the table. Lead us to be reconciled with you. Be reconciled with one another, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.